The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. Kyle Leone here, your host for another week here on The Gory Days. We're back, baby, week to week. You can't keep us down. It just won't stay dead like a zombie from the depths. It's crawling, bursting, fist first, of course, through the dirt, and then clawing its way out with brains and sinews spilling away behind it. That's right. We're back. Last week, we did The Fly. This week, we're doing The Ring, 2002's The Ring. And I even have a guest today, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that special? Ooh, ah. My guest today is a close personal friend of mine that uh, is close, personal, and new. I haven't known him all that long, but we have a podcast together, a podcast called Feeling It Out with Kyle and Connor, where he and I talk about... Um, what would, it, what would it be about? And I'll introduce you in a second. It's like having mental illness while also being a creative, and it's, call, it's also kind of turned into being black, too, right? Yeah. Okay. And, okay. and you don't need to say course, anything. But... I'm going to introduce you in a second. It's okay. Um, illustrator, comic book illustrator, Connor Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Gory Days. Thank you so much for having me. There you go. See, I give you a cue, I leave a pause in my speech, and then, then you come in. So that's, that's typical podcast etiquette. I'll, I'll forgive you this time. I appreciate it. Um, I'm new. So I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but um, one of my favorite horror movies, I did it last week, uh, was is The Fly um, with like a close second child's play. Honestly, they're pretty neck and neck, but I feel like I came into horror through my mom, through like the horror books and movies that she read. So I'm curious, like what's your key into the horror world? Because you make comics, um, but are they horror comics? Is that are you a horror guy? No, I wish. It's been a hard genre for me to tap into fully, but I also got my horror start from my mom, who watches about six horror movies a week and has a bunch of horror just stories in general and just got tapped into that market. So it's always been something I've been fascinated with and and I'd say oversaturated with, but I'm at a comfortable level with how much horror I consume. Was it that she was watching movies and you just happened to like be in the hallway or was she literally like, hey, come watch a horror movie with me? Uh, started out the first way and then ended up being the second way. That's funny because there was definitely a period of time where it, I, I don't know when it happened, but where it switched to, oh, I need to watch the scary movies before my mom so that I can tell her when the scary things are going to happen. Did that ever happen <laughs> for you? Um, sort of. We'll be watching a movie and then something will happen and she's just like, tell me when it's over. And I sit there and I go, whoa, it's not over. But, but so. at the same time, I also, I don't, well, excuse me, I don't do it so much uh, these days because I'm such a man. But um, there was a point where I would have to watch scenes like several times through this uh, filter, which is once without sound and then once mm. covering the screen with sound, and then we can put the two pieces together, and then it was okay to watch a scene that I was too scared of. <laughs> wow, that's a slick trick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I would always just, uh, for those with glasses out there, if a scene came on I was getting nervous about, I'd just tip my glasses down a little bit because uh, I can't see 
I don't know, three feet in front of me. So I could just watch a movie and go, those blurs are really getting murdered. <laughs> and so, I wouldn't know what happened. So I guess I just want to uh, quickly give an idea of just who you are and why you brought this movie to the gory days. Why The Ring? What What's so special about this movie that you wanted to introduce it to me, someone who's already seen it six times? <laughs> well, so as someone who's also seen it uh, many, many times, it's just a film that ended up being one of my first horror movies that I, I think I remember with my hazy memory voluntarily sitting down to watch. And it's become such, it was especially such a, a, a culture icon, especially in horror movies, to the point where everybody our age knows the fucking ring and they don't have to have seen it to know seven days. Like you watch the video, you die at least I'm confident of that. And there was a point in high school where me and my friend watched The Ring like every weekend. So I've seen the movie upwards of like 30 times. Okay. Is that all? Hmm. Is I mean, all? I know more about you than the viewer uh, than the listeners obviously because we we go way back as far back as January, but um <laughs> you have a connection to um the nation of Nippon. And that would oh yes, imply um, because this movie is based on a Japanese movie that that mm-hmm. would have some connection. But no, not nothing no, there. It it actually I watched it and I didn't know it was based on a Japanese movie. And then I think two years after that, my mom went, "It's based on a Japanese movie. We have to watch it." And then I watched it and I was like, "Yes, that is the movie." But they're all Japanese. Did you ever watch the original? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I watched, is that what you were just uh, talking about? Ringu. Oh, I, I watched Ringu, Rasen, and fuck, the third one, and then I didn't watch the sequels in America. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I haven't seen the original uh, or read any of the books. But I'm, I'm told they're very good by the internet. Let's see. The internet doesn't lie. The first time. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Did you see it in. No, you didn't see it in theaters, you're saying. You were probably too no. young. No, 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 no. I believe I saw it. A year after the fact. Maybe I did. I honestly can't remember. That part of my life is a no. blur. So. It was like a sleepover or something? No, I'm pretty sure I saw it with my mom. Okay. Because this is yeah. definitely one of those that it's like kind of a modern day uh, Bloody Mary where it invents a new urban horror, urban myth in the, the culture by using uh, the VHS tapes, which at the time, I love that this movie takes place in this like magical pocket when VHSs were around, but slowly DVDs were overtaking them. So this movie was on DVD, but it deals with VHSs so much. Um, I find that interesting. I'm trying to remember the first time I saw it. I remember, I distinctly remember, there was a point in time where I would watch uh, Sci-Fi, the Sci-Fi channel on um, Siffy, as people are probably aware of it these days. I would watch Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Saturday mornings. And on Sci-Fi, they didn't care if you were a nine-year-old child watching Saturday morning Mystery Science Theater. They were going to show commercials for all the scary, terrible, horrible things uh, that were (laughs) on their lineup. And my God, dude, some of those promos were so scary. Way scarier than the movies themselves actually were. Like, um, I thought the movie House was so much scarier than it actually was when I finally saw it because of this, like, two-second clip of this kid's feet dangling over, like, some stairs and these two giant, like, Muppet Mr. Potato Head monster-looking things, like, nipping at his feet. And that, like, 
triggered me and scared me so much. <laughs> and so I remember a point in time where they were advertising for this movie. So uh, it's funny because I also get a blur when I think of this time because I get this movie and the Blair Witch Project, the marketing kind of like mixed oh. up at the same time. When the reality yeah. is that they're four years apart. <laughs> they are. They are a bit apart, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, mind and the memory. But um, my point is that I remember listen- I remember watching sci-fi and seeing these ads for The Ring, and most of them were, like, just the tape. Um, like, edited, I think, for TV, because, like, I don't think they had the footage of, like, the thing being ripped out of the dude's throat, which looks all CGI right. and stuff. I don't remember that. I feel like that would have scared me. Um, and so that, that must've been like 2000, 2001, it would've been around 2001 when they were marketing it, but I don't, uh, that's so weird. I wish I could remember when the first time I saw this movie was. All I remember is it scared me. It scared the crap out of me. And it really only has one or two big scares. Like if you, if you haven't seen this movie, get ready for a slow, long, mostly mystery movie. Cause that's what it's this a is. Slow damn ride. I just remember so slow. I just remember being so proud of it. Introducing me to Naomi Watts, uh, who's gone on to do awesome things, namely be Aquaman's mom in Aquaman. Um, <laughs> or no, I'm sorry to see that now. Fuck. That's Nicole Kidman. What the fuck did you Naomi, liar. what the fuck did Naomi Watts do? I don't know. They're both Australian. I don't even yeah. think Naomi Watts is Australian. <laughs> They're all the same people, I think. Yeah. I don't know. White okay. women. They're clones. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, if you didn't have any other personal stories about The Ring, I was going to go into uh, a timeline of how it got made. No, let's do it. I thought you were going to talk longer. I took too big nope. a drink. I took too <laughs> big a drink of water. A little peek behind the curtain, boys and girls. All right. So... Uh, it's occurred to me that there's a podcast called How Did This Get Made? And that's unfortunately the best way to phrase this segment. So I'm just going to say, how did this get made? Yeah. And well, fuck it. <laughs> that's my <laughs> podcast. So this film is a remake of the original Japanese film Ring or Ringu. I'm curious. Uh, hmm. Never mind. Directed by Hideo Nakata, yeah. which is itself... Well, you're not Japanese, and so I no. didn't want to ask uh, any questions of you like as a Japanese authority. <laughs> um, that's Okay, that's very fair. We can, we can nix that question then. Yeah, so anyway, uh, the original movie, Ring, uh, was released in 1998, directed by Hideo Nakata, but that movie is itself based on the 1991 novel, Ring, by Koji Suzuki, which you haven't read. You haven't heard of that. No, I, I didn't even know there was a book involved. So okay. This is news to well, me. neither did I. And as far as I know, neither did Gore Verbinski when his friend Walter F. Parks sent him a VHS of the original film Ring or Ringu in 1998. And he immediately was on the phone looking for the rights. He wanted to make this movie into an American remake. So, since The Sixth Sense came out in 1999 and gave Paramount Pictures this renewed confidence in movies that weren't about slashers killing teens having sex, like we were talking about a second ago, the success of The Blair Witch Project, The Sixth Sense, um, and another one whose name I've written down somewhere, who cares, uh, led to the success of movies that are more just slow, drawn-out suspenses about ethereal, faceless monsters. Um, Not not necessarily something that you can dress up as for Halloween. 
And honestly, you calling it a mystery, I think, was a great way to refer to it, too, because when I was rewatching it for this podcast, that's one of the things that I thought was, wow, I didn't remember how much of a damn mystery this is with, like, spooks here and there and yeah. not a horror movie where you're constantly getting pressurized in the content of the horror. No, you mo- you spend you spend most of the movie furrowing your brow, wondering, what is she looking at? What is she yeah. going to see? What's about to happen? <laughs> but yeah. No one's ever really in it. It's something that's funny, and we'll talk about it, but, like, suspense is ripped completely out of the movie because we know she's going to die in seven days and no sooner. <laughs> but yeah. but that's, that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> so uh, I mentioned that advertising the ring was similar to the Blair Witch Project in that they released footage of the tape without any context, not even a release date. It would just be the tape in the middle of your viewing experience. But they also went further and made fake websites, a string of ARG websites that I don't think exist anymore that all yeah. connected like the lighthouse and the farm, uh, uh, the whatever farm. Um, I've got them all noted, okay? I've done my homework. It's just not in front of me. This isn't the part mm-hmm. where I say all of their names. This is the part where I talk about the marketing. Um, so, uh, my last point is that, uh, the slasher subgenre was kind of erased by this new wave of movies, specifically J horror, Japanese horror, this movie and the grudge, uh, made a lot of other production companies take, uh, note and follow carry the torch by making a bunch of other Japanese or J horror movies, including Dark Water, Pulse, One Missed Call, The Eye, Shudder, Mirrors, and The Uninvited, all from 2002 to 2009. Uh, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Japanese remakes without any break. Every year, you got another Japanese remake or two, which is pretty crazy. It is. Especially, and I didn't know that Mirrors was originally a Japanese movie. That's what I was going to say, especially because it's not like any of these were marketed as Japanese remakes. No. They were marketed as just, oh, look, it's another horror movie. But you can uh, look at each of those movies, and not one of them has, like, a scary protagonist that you could dress up as. Which is a very good point. Oh, thank you. Oh, boy, you think that's good? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Okay. He's literally trying to sleep on the keyboard. So, as I uh, hinted at a second ago, this is directed by that dude who, you know, directed The Mexican and Mouse Hunt and, oh, I don't know, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, Gore Verbinski. Uh, He also did Rango. (laughs) Produced by Walter F. Parks and Laurie McDonald, a screenplay by Aaron Kruger and an uncredited rewrite by Scott Frank, who wrote Transformers 2 2 through 4. As I mentioned, this is based on the novel Ring by Koji Suzuki. Music by Hans Zimmer, the Hans Zimmer, uh, distributed by DreamWorks, which I love. This I finally found one. Ever since DreamWorks pivoted to only making animated movies, I've been trying. I've been living in like um, a Berenstein Bears universe where I don't know, like I can't find any examples of a non-animated DreamWorks movie. But here's one: The Ring. Oh, which is yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. And I actually saw that when I was watching again. I was like, "What? The <laughs> this isn't what animated. Is happening? This yeah. isn't Shrek. Did I accidentally put in Shrek?" <laughs> and I had to run to my Shrek cabinet and find Somebody. the. <laughs> Somebody burst out of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this movie released 
Friday, October 18th, 2002, just in time for Halloween, with a budget of $48 million estimated. It grossed $249.3 million at the box office. In fact, this movie was the highest grossing horror remake in cinematic history. Which is crazy. That's the part where you go, whoa! What? Whoa! It's cinematic history? I can't... Sorry, ah! I, I, I was looking it up earlier, too. So you're reading it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you did your... Re- okay, well, what am I doing? I you tell me. It. You tell me how this movie got made. Um, well, you definitely know more than I do, but I can at least throw in an interesting fact that you may not have in your notes is that uh, Ring, or Ringu, was actually produced in nine months. That the whole Whoa! Movie. What? Nine months? <laughs> yeah, this guy knows how to react. This guy knows how to react over here. No, but it's 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 uh which I think is is um it 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 sounds demeaning, it makes sense, but I would not have guessed that. I would have thought there was at least a little more to that. I think it's really funny. Um that's that's a really interesting fact. Um I know that Saw, the movie Saw, was filmed in 18 days. And so and, and, Whoa! <laughs> Arriba! Um, so here I am thinking to myself, does everyone just like at some point stumble upon a number smaller than the last number they heard yes. of like how long it took to make X movie? And you go, whoa, hundred percent, nine months. Oh my gosh. That's so fast. And here I am going like, oh, it's not 18 days. <laughs> but to be fair, Saw has like three locations um, compared yeah. to this movie that takes place mostly outside. Mm, not mostly, but yeah. Yeah, a good amount. So let's introduce our main players. We've got Naomi Watts as Rachel Keller, the uh, photo or the journalist who's like uh, really good at her job, if a terrible parent. What's what's she going to choose? Uh, we've got David Dorfman as her son, Aiden Keller. Did you do your research on David Dorfman, my friend? Ooh, I definitely did not. Okay, Dorfman. so I found this fascinating. You know how the kid is kind of a, a creep in the movie? Uh, definitely a way of putting it, but yeah. And he's supposed to be like, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, he's uh, advanced for his age. I was going <laughs> to say he was uh, eerily mature for his age. That's a good way of putting that it. Is, that is him being a creep by nature. Well, this is once again uh, a perfect example of casting doing its job like like a uh, every the stars aligning for this because David Dorfman, the child actor, was actually disturbingly mature. He was admitted to UCLA at the age of 13. Oh, my God. He graduated as valedictorian and got into Harvard Law at 18. And do you want to know where he is right now? I really do. He's currently the legal counsel for the U.S. House of Representatives. What the? (laughs) Ranking member of Foreign Affairs, Subcommittee on Asia. So congratulations, David Dorfman. It's so funny. I have a URL here. You can look him up. And in his little description at the bottom, it says, like, um, after acting, Aiden pursued a thing. Like, it's literally just like a little footnote. His whole experience oh, being a child actor. Of course. <laughs> um, wow, that's, in- that's, that's, wow. Yeah, that was one of the more interesting things I found out is, oh, that actor uh, was a child, like, creepy, mature, genius kid, wunderkind, and graduated from Harvard Law. Oh, I'm sorry, it was admitted to Harvard Law at 18. I don't know when he graduated. Who knows? <laughs> that isn't publicly available. You know, he actually graduated in 18 days. Oh, wow! Wow! Yeah. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! 
get it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got Martin Henderson as Noah Clay, the like boyfriend who should be Aiden's father, but is a piece of shit. Uh, the great Devi Chase or Deve Chase as Samara Morgan, who debuted. I know her as the voice of Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Wow, that just changed everything I thought I knew. I remember that being such an important, interesting trivia fact as a kid. It was like, mm, actually, did you know the voice of Lila is all uh, of Lilo is also uh, Samara from The Ring? Wow, that, that also is pretty mind blowing. Well, I think it's a. I thought it made me interesting because it's like, oh, Kyle knows Disney things and horror adult things he has no business watching. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got Brian Cox in a teeny tiny role. He was marketed much bigger because he's freaking Brian Cox, but he plays Richard Morgan, who's only seen in two scenes. Uh, we've got Shannon Cochran as Anna Morgan. Jane Alexander as Dr. Grasnick. Lindsay Frost as Ruthie Embry. Uh, Amber Tamblin as Katie. Why does that name sound familiar? Amber Tamblin. Because it sounds super familiar, and I feel like if we look her up. Did you look her up? No. I don't I feel do, like there'd be a trail. You, you think I do research for this this kind of shit? <laughs> I thought you did for me. Uh, Raquela, oh, I'm sorry, Rachel Bella as Becca. Richard Lineback as the innkeeper, the the weird guy who's like, pick a card. Is this your card? Um, yeah. Polly Perrette as Beth, um, who I thought was Mila Jovovich when she walked in. The woman from really? yeah, I thought she was what's your uh, Mila Jovovich from the Resident Evil series, but it turns huh. out she's the goth lab tech from NCIS. That okay, that's, that's where I recognized her. her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, some other brats as other people. Who cares? Let's get into what the hell just happened. My first segment, my favorite segment. Let me say it one more time. What the hell just happened? So this movie is structured really fun because seven days. We literally get a seven-day time period, and that's a good screenwriting technique, is to give the audience a clear-cut timeline for how long your movie is going to take place. So it starts with a sleepover, these two girls, and I don't want to belabor this too long, but I love just the leap in logic that these two friends have, that it's you and me, like we're best friends, and our, our shtick is that we try to scare each other all the time, like that's fun, but we do it in such a way that how could we ever sustain a friendship and know what's real and what is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Girl. They do not break from their bits in, until the point where there's already panic in their eyes. And, and if it were me, by the time that What's-Her-Face is pretending that Samara's on the phone, it's actually her mom, I would have been like, fuck you. Get out of my you. house. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's so funny because Becca is the one that introduces, like, in a vacuum, the idea of a tape that kills you. It really seems like she's making it up the way that the scene plays out. But Katie confirms it's real, but he's like, wait, where did you hear that? She's like, it's just a story. No, I watched it. And she goes like, yeah. Oh, oh. And so I don't know what's real. I can't tell what's real between these friends. Anyway, long story short, Katie did see the tape. It was real. And Katie gets ringed. Rung? She gets killed. Yeah, she gets she gets twist and turned. <laughs> and her face gets burned. <laughs> It's, it's a good time. That's how that you, shot is one of my favorite <laughs> shots in movie history is when there's a moment where oh, the closet to her face in the closet after she's dead and you just see her and, and I'm making a joke, but the face itself is kind of creepy, but she's like, Bleh! and then her <laughs> head just kind of whoop, and droops and it's so <laughs> burned into my brain every time I think of that movie. I always felt like if the head didn't droop, the scare would have sustained, but the head drooping makes it so funny. Um, I know. 
So anyway, let we finally get to our main characters, the interesting part of our movie. We meet Rachel <laughs> Keller, the hard-talking, <laughs> bad-parenting journalist who doesn't sit like a normal person when asked. And Wait. Aiden Keller, <laughs> you know what she sits on the desk. I need, I need to, I'm sorry, because I know that Kyle and I have a tendency to just kind of go, but I need to say this one thing, because one of my notes was actually about this, <laughs> because I was, I was, at this point, I was like deeply analyzing the characters. I hadn't seen it in so long, and I was like, what did I like about this? And so Naomi Watts comes in to talk to Aiden's teacher, and the teacher is calling her Mrs. Keller, and every time she does, she's like, Rachel, and I'm like, damn, that's a power play. But like to the like teacher build, isn't having it. <laughs> the teacher's not having it, but she keeps doing it, and then the teacher's like, have a seat. She not only sits on the table, she pulls out the chair, does a fake out, and then sits on the table like, I'm in charge. And I was like, wow, what a fucking player. I wrote Naomi's character as a fucking gangster. <laughs> Because to me, the teacher's like, I'm trying to have a serious conversation. And Naomi's like, I rule this room because I'm an alpha dog. And it was like when her boss, when her boss tries to fire her later. (laughs) Yeah. She's she's like, like, no, I'm I'm not. not. No, I'm not. (laughs) It was like, wow. I, 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 it's funny thinking about the, the characters I write now and how I wonder how much. Uh, uh, Rachel Keller contributed to this idea I have of like characters that I make now. That was I love shit like that. Uh, that was something I wanted to. Uh, I didn't say at the top, but um, I have a bad tendency of mixing the actors and the characters' names. So let's pick one right now. Do we want to say the actors' names or the characters' names? Characters' names. Okay, cool. Rachel. So Rachel learns um, that Aiden has been drawing some spooky art because uh, what we learn here is the girl who died at the beginning, Katie, was Aiden's cousin, and they were Whoa. really close. They were super duper close. Um, and so Aiden, who's already prone to being, um, what was the phrase you used? Disturbingly mature. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's he's already prone to weirdness, and now he's drawing spooky art. So when she's putting him to bed that night, he's like. We don't have time. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? He's like, before we die. Uh, I don't know when you're going. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. And he's like, so you know when I'm going to die? It's like, Jesus, kid, this kid is so intense. Um, and she says, Katie said she knew when she was going to die. And she's like, huh, that's a little weird. So then we go to the, uh, the wake. And man, I love the way they show Dave, that actor, the dad, Katie's dad. He is not handling it well. He's a shell no. of a man. At he that did wake. an amazing job yeah. in that role. When when yeah. when Rachel's like, "How are you?" and he's like, "I'm fine. How are you?" <laughs> he's dead yeah. inside. And you can like see in his eyes that he is devoid of all life. It, and I was so impressed. Yeah, that his daughter died. And then this is the scene. They're in the kitchen, and I love it because it's such. It, there is no preamble. There is nothing that makes you think a jump scare is going to happen. They're just talking about Katie. Rachel's asking Ruthie about her dead daughter, and Ruthie's like, I saw her. And then suddenly, flash, we see the Katie and her face, and then it flops, Blah. and it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, like, one of the maybe three big scares of this movie, um, mm-hmm. and that's definitely the one that sticks with me, and you said it stuck with you, too. Yep. Yeah, jump scare of the century. So, anyway, uh, here's where we get our, like, inciting incident to the inciting incident which is ruthie asks her photo her journalist friend i don't know why i want to keep calling her a photo journalist she doesn't really take any pictures but she she operates with video a lot in the movie whatever ruthie asks her photo journalist friend can you find out why my daughter died and so she rachel decides to help and so she immediately goes outside and starts smoking with some teens and sniffing around does her job figures out that uh 
Well, actually, she doesn't. Act, I love this. She doesn't actually get that much out of these kids. What she ends up doing instead is following Aiden, I guess, upstairs to. He's just like. I guess he can like feel her or whatever. I don't know. Or, or he feels Samara because there's like a weird staticky on the TV. The point is, Katie fi- or um, Rachel finds uh, Katie's like scrapbook. And it has a sticker for a photo place in it. So she goes to the photo place, gets the photos delivered, and she sees that Katie's there and all of her friends, and they're up at the cabin. But then their photos are smeared. The faces are smeared. That's so weird. Why are all their faces smeared? Forgot that was an affect of the video, and I actually love that. I like that element. Yeah, that once you yeah. once you're like marked, that anytime you show up on video, it would be much more like noticeable now. I feel like because uh, there's oh yeah, not as much cameras it's it's just when they get them developed and they have a digital camera at one point and uh a cctv at a um, uh, gas station or something but yeah so while rachel was talking to those teens this kid kellen interrupts and tells them that there's a cape there's a tape that kills you when you watch it and they also learned that Katie had a secret boyfriend, Josh, who's also dead. Apparently may have killed himself the exact same night Katie died. So that makes her go, hmm. She gets the photos developed. Their faces are smeared. That's weird. She goes home uh, and she's researching and trying to find out what happened to those teens. And she learns that all the teens died at 10 o'clock in the exact same night. So that's weird. So she goes to the cabin that they all stayed at in the photos, the Shelter Mountain Inn. And that's where the guy does the card trick or whatever. Uh, and she sees an unmarked tape. So this is the big moment is that she says, you know what, I'd actually like to reserve uh, cabin 12, please. Um, I'm just going to look at these tapes over here, and she already rented the room. I don't know why she has to secretly like steal the tape and put it in her purse. Yeah, she could have just walked weird. it to her cabin. But anyway, the sun sets. The light comes through the plastic leaves on the fake tree that fell over six times during production. And she watches the tape. And so, just really quickly, the tape itself is incredibly indie. It's almost as though the, uh, the, the filmmaker realized narrative in itself is comforting to take from The Office, to take from Gabe's yeah. life from The Office. <laughs> it's so incredibly avant-garde. Um, and there's, like, impossible shots in there that make no sense for the time. Like... Uh, if this really was like, oh, it's just a funny VHS tape, how is there a giant centipede in the video? And how is the chair spinning upside down and all kinds of crazy stuff in there? Um, and then the tape ends. And then the phone rings. And there's a voice. And it says, seven days. And we get the title card. Boom. Thursday. Which I think is so funny because it says Thursday. And then it fades in day one. Day one. <laughs> <laughs> like if Thursday wasn't bad enough. Oh, boy. I know. <laughs> so this is where we meet Noah in the weirdest way. The way they introduce him. Were you not completely confused by who this guy is when Aiden goes to school by himself and bumps into this stranger on his walk? And they just kind of stare at each other for a little bit. And then they cross paths and keep going. Do you remember the scene I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And it is it is weird. And it's just from from understand from knowing and having watched as much TV as I do, I, I I could see seeing that scene and being like, okay, this is the movie trying to tell us they know each other somehow. But it's weird because they shouldn't, because we're not given a reason why he would just know a guy. Yeah, and it's also weird because we've established Noah. So uh, 
Noah is Aiden's father, but he's a bum and doesn't isn't married to Rachel and lives somewhere else in Seattle in this enormous flat studio like uh, yeah, penthouse. Fucking bullshit. I love that. I love movies. Um, but uh, so he's Aiden's father, and it's established. It's hard established that he is not. He does not want to be a father, and he's pretty distant. So it's strange that they like would see each other at all. Anyway. I hate how long it takes for them to say who the fuck Noah is. It's clear that the script wants to wait until a wham moment for when Aiden, uh, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead. So uh, that uh, Thursday, she shows it to Noah and he's supposed to be like a video professional or whatever. He, he knows everything there is to know. He's a videographer who specializes in VHS because that's what the medium was. There were no DVDs. Uh, so he asks her to make him a copy of the tape, and he'll see what he can do. Great idea. So Rachel makes a copy of the tape at work. And that's all she does that day. There are so many days leading up to the last day where she does, like, two things, maybe one thing, and then apparently just went to sleep. Uh, because Friday, day two starts, and this is where we see Rachel and Noah at Noah's a giant, uh, massive studio, and he explains that the control track numbers are screwed up. And he explains, like, oh, it's, uh, it's like being born without fingerprints, meaning it's untraceable to any video camera. Uh... So when they're like looking at the video, she sees something on the side of the tracking and they try to stretch it. And then they're interrupted by Beth, who literally doesn't matter in this movie. Uh, and then Rachel takes the copy with her, which is only important because of what happens that night. So then she goes to sleep. And Saturday, day three, she goes to the mental hospital that Becca, we heard that Becca, the friend that was with Katie the night that she died, of course, lost her mind and now has a perfectly reasonable phobia of television, is at this mental institute. And she doesn't learn anything from the interview. All that we see is Becca, like, holds her hand and tells her four days. And then... Day four. Then, ooh, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. Actually, no. Then she goes to the video lab, um, and that's when she's printing stills of the photo, and uh, that's when she sees like the stretching of the lighthouse and uh, sees that the fly is moving when the video's paused, and that's when she grabs the fly out of the video and like holds it, and it flies away. And, and I her nose starts bleeding. I remember that moment. God, that was such a cool moment because first they kind of reward you for just like wait. Did it move after they paused? And then she, she's like, wait, did it move after I paused? And then she pauses, <laughs> and it moves, and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I love that moment. Um, yeah. So she takes the fly off. It flies away. She notices her nose is bleeding. She takes the photos, and then once again, boom, Sunday, day four. Nothing else happened on Saturday, but Sunday, day four, she's at the big library doing her research. And I love how it's a movie, so... In uh, maybe like three Google searches, she finds everything that she needs in like 1990 or in like uh, 2001 era Google. She learns that the lighthouse was on a place called Musco Island, where a woman called Anna Morgan had a horse show, and all the horses started dying. And Anna was suddenly committed to uh, another psychiatric hospital. And that's the story of Anna Morgan. So now we've put a little more of the pieces together in this mystery of, oh, God, I can't even tell what they're trying to figure out at this point. Just trying to find a way to not die. The movie does a good job of, like, 
keeping the momentum of the mystery going, but it's so hard to fight when talking about it, the suspension of disbelief that she is in absolutely no danger, especially before Aiden sees the movie. Oh, spoiler alert, because Monday, day five, Rachel is back at home and she she's on the phone with Ruthie asking if Aiden if she can watch him um, as uh, to babysit when because she, she's going to go out of town she's going to go to the lighthouse and she coughs up that hair and it's so long and it's she's like awful pulling it out and she's like gagging and it makes you like watching it uh, big long hair and at the end of it is a, an electrode which I did not know what that was the first time I was looking at it, it looks like a nipple but it's an <laughs> electrode. It is an electrode. It's not a nipple. Um, so she, I guess, after coughing up the electrode, picks up the phone, and the phone is peeing, and she has a dream about getting her arm grabbed by a girl in a chair in a nightmare, and she wakes up, and Aiden has watched the tape. No! <laughs> I love her scream as she runs in, and Aiden is completely like, Jesus Christ, what the hell is happening? I was just yeah, watching. he's this. like, I'm just watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm trying to watch a movie in there. And she's like, no! Why? Why? <laughs> Oh, so there's actually a thing about the the second time we see the movie that I had literally have never noticed before. Because when she runs in to stop Aiden from watching it, she, of course, catches him at the last possible moment. So there's no way she can stop him. However, the last shot of the video is a close-up of the well. And then you start to see Samara climb out of it. But when she watches the movie, that doesn't happen. Yes. Oh, we've got and an I eagle. I never noticed that. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, we've got an eagle-eyed guest on the podcast here. He noticed. A, me. He noticed a very, very easy-to-miss detail, which you're absolutely right. When uh, Rachel watched the tape the first time, it holds on the same image, but it's static. It's just the well. When Aiden watches it, she's coming out of it a teeny bit when it cuts finally. So I feel like that's maybe supposed to imply that, oh, she's coming for, for Rachel and for Aiden or whatever. But that's where we finally learn on day five, uh, Aiden is Noah's son. Noah's and Rachel's son because she calls Noah and he's like, what's wrong? And she says, he watched it like a movie person always does. And Noah says, who? And Rachel says, our son. So that we're all supposed to go, oh, that's who Noah is. I hate this technique that movies do is try to save. Obviously, it's a cool thing to save information for like a big revelation or something. You don't just want to start with like, here's an exposition on everything you need to know. No secrets here. Let's start. But to do it with a character's like fundamental relationship to the rest of the characters in the movie, I would have cared who Noah was much earlier if they had told me it, he was his dad. But I guess is that Gore Verbinski or no? Is that um, Aaron Kruger and Scott Frank attempting to make me feel bad for thinking he was a deadbeat before? Now he's also a deadbeat dad. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was just adding mystery to it because in that scene and when you when you when you finally see his giant in, in, invincible loft or whatever, <laughs> and that lady comes in. It's the 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 tension between uh, Rachel, Noah, and Beth yeah. is like really awkward, and that would be a moment where I'd think, oh, I guess they're exes, and like, oh you can, yeah, I think it I think it helps that I know, and I don't remember what I thought when I first saw it, but they give you these moments where it's like, are, are, are they were they did they did they screw and like 
it is to perpetuate a mystery. I, I think that's one of the areas where they could have just oh, said it earlier. But I see what or you, then. I agree with you. I see what you're saying. They're trying to. Uh, there, there is an air of like, were they just dating? Did they like try to date and it just didn't work? Were they married? Like what you can't really tell what the extent of their relationship was, but you can tell that they were in some relationship and you're right. I feel like that moment justifies the wham reveal, the uh, Beth coming in and everything being kind of weird because that establishes like how weird is this supposed to feel? And so once we learn, oh, she's the father of his son, of her son, that makes sense. So now we've only got two days left, so the meat of the movie takes place in these last two days because they've been beating around the bush, absolutely wasting their time the last two days. They drop Aiden off at Ruthie, and Noah admits he wants to be a, uh, he doesn't want to be a father, but he also doesn't want anyone else to be Noah's father, you know, a jackass. Uh, yeah. And Noah draws a picture for Aiden, and then they have a little road trip montage where they forced in some more exposition about Anna that they couldn't quite fit into any other scene. Uh, screenwriters voice out there, o- take note. Over, over. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then Rachel gets on the ferry. She kind of idly learns that Anna Morgan had a daughter and kind of connects that to what her nightmare grab was. Because literally up until this point, this far in the movie, we, there is no girl. There is no, we don't know. It's just the tape. The tape is scary. If uh, you were to watch this movie without knowing the girl, you wouldn't assume that there is a girl until this moment, I feel like, uh, except, yeah. for, except for the arm grab, you know, tiny little things. This is where they first uh, acknowledge it. Uh, a horse dies, and then she gets to the Morgan House uh, family farm, and she meets Brian Cox, Mr. Morgan, who explains that the horses went mad and ran out into the ocean, and so he stopped breeding horses. Uh, and once he, like, asks, oh, um, by the way, did, uh, did you, um, this is crazy, did you have a daughter? No! <laughs> and he's like, who are you? <laughs> Get out of my house! Yeah, he fucking does that move where he walks forward of the fucking hook, and I'm yeah. just like, are you serious? Is this seriously? Are you trying to bait me into thinking he's going to murder her? Because I know he won't. I love how it's like, if you live on a farm on an island, you have to be creepy. You have to yeah, be creepy. It's, it's a 100%. rule. 100%. <laughs> you have to do everything slowly and purposefully, and when you toss things, even like a rag, it needs to be threatening. <laughs> I, I said, get out! <laughs> oh, and he does the thing. He's like, "Oh, I have a lot of work to do." <laughs> Where's your daughter? I don't have a daughter. Get out! Yeah. yeah. So then Rachel calls uh, Aiden, and Aiden's like, "Oh, a little girl shows me things," and she, because of the picture, it had a little girl in it. So she calls Aiden. She's like, "Hey, this picture you drew, I love it. By the way, this little girl in it." What's her deal? And Aiden's like, lol, she shows me things. Oh, okay. What kinds of things? Well, she doesn't like it in the barn. The horses keep her up at night. Now she lives in a very dark place. Gotta go. So cool. The, so, so Rachel decides to take that information and just put it in her pocket as she goes to the only doctor on the island, Dr. Grasnick. Uh, and she asks Dr. Grasnick about the Morgan daughter. And this is the only most important exposition we get in the whole movie, and it's basically a throwaway line. Dr. Grasnick says that the Morgans were trying to have a baby for years and failing, and that's revealed when Noah finds the medical records with all of the miscarriages. Um, So the Morgans left town. They traveled, and when they came back, 
Samara was there. And so everyone assumed that they adopted Samara and that Samara's birth mother either was dead or couldn't take care of her. And so no one asked questions. And then Anna Morgan started to lose her mind and the horses started killing themselves. And ever since Samara's been gone, things have been better. So the doctor is basically saying, like, I'm not interested in looking into what happened to Samara, even though it's pretty clear the parents killed her. We're all happy for it. Yeah. Which is pretty damn dark. I like it because the she introduces one of the bigger themes here with um, she's got a, 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 a guy there who's mentally cha- uh, fuck, man. Fuck. Uh, uh, if I didn't belabor it so much, I could have just moved on. Um, <laughs> she's got a gentleman there. Uh, and, um, she explains that like, oh, he's my son's son. It's my kid's kid. And some people, you got to put in the work to love people and it's too much for some people. And that's her way of saying that like Samara had her problems and she just thought Anna couldn't handle them. And, and it's a horrible thing that I want to get into in my theme segment. But that's a lot of stuff that we learned from Dr. Grasnick, the only doctor on the island. Were you raising your hand? No, I was scratching. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I have a tendency to just steamroll during this segment, so I'm sorry. Uh, I'll steamroll some more. Rachel returns to Mr. Morgan and finds Samara's interview tape. And before she talks to... She's in his house, but instead of, you know, looking around for him, she plays the tape where it's Samara, this cute little girl, Deve Chase, staring at a clock for hours and hours and hours and hours and not moving, laying the groundwork for uh, paranormal activity down the road. Like, you can see the inspiration here. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, But, yeah, so we establish here that she is disturbed. She doesn't sleep, and the doctors are interviewing her, and... The creepiest, in, uh, the creepiest revelation here is she says, they ask her, you don't want to hurt people, do you? And she says, but I do, and I'm sorry, it won't yeah. stop. And I feel like she's, it's left up to like, oh, you could interpret she's saying it won't stop, it won't, like, I want it to stop, I wish it would stop, but it won't stop, oh, I wish it would stop, but mm, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Mr. Morgan reveals that Samara was whispering things. He comes up behind Rachel and whops her on the head. And as he's going into the bathroom to kill himself, he's like, uh, he explains in so many words that Samara was like sending messages and images into uh, Anna Morgan's and Mr. Morgan's and the horse's minds and maybe even everyone on the island, uh, their minds. And it drove all of them to suicide until the end of the movie happens, and uh, I guess everything worked out once Samara was put away, uh, at least until the tape came about. So now they break into the barn and find... uh, So Rachel and Noah break into the barn, go up to the loft, and it's the weirdest... uh, I, I, I wasn't even sure if I should even mention it, but it's the weirdest thing. They go up to the loft, and they find a tree image has been burned into the wall at the loft... So she recognizes the tree, which is at the cabin, which is miles away and on the mainland. But some, never mind. You know what? We'll save this for uh, my, my question segment. So It's a lot, yeah. so that's fair. <laughs> so 
they know where they need to go. They need to go back to the cabin. Wednesday, day seven. This is it. They pull up the floorboards on the cabin because of a stupid movie reason. And there's a freaking well under the floorboard. Like, there's so much water damage on the floor. You would smell something. Anyway, there's a well under the floorboards. And a TV accidentally pushes Rachel into the... I love the moment where you see the water creeping to the screws. And then the screws pushing themselves out really slowly. Like, the visual effect yeah. on that, the, the screws and everything, the nails, they look so tight and old and firm. And so the the force of them coming out looks like a lot of force when I'm sure that was just, you know, movie magic. But it was very well done movie magic. Yeah, I like that it really shows us that her, like, dominion is water. And then this is it. So Samara, uh, Rachel's at the bottom of the well. It's fucking scary, man. If you were at the bottom of a well and it was pitch black, I can't imagine. I don't know what she's standing on because Rachel is not like treading water like I imagine you would need to. She's clearly standing on something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, She's trying to stay afloat, it feels like, or something. I don't know. So um, Rachel, uh, Samara, I guess, grabs her one more time, and she has one more vision. Rachel has a final vision of the day Samara died. The day she died, she was standing by a well watching the horses, and Anna Morgan walked up behind her daughter and said, uh, oh, I love you. Isn't it nice here? Things are going to get better. And then suffocated her uh, while saying, all I ever wanted was you. And then once she suffocated, Anna Morgan dropped Samara's body into the well uh, and sealed it with a giant stone slab. And Anna Morgan wasn't aware that she didn't finish the job. She didn't suffocate Samara. Samara survived the suffocation and the fall and starved to death at the bottom of the well or or dehydrate well starved to death at the bottom of the well over a seven day period she was alive in the well for seven days and we see evidence of her fingernails and her scratching the Ugh. walls and her trying to get yeah. out that 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 was torture that this poor child was trapped at the bottom of this well for seven days before she died and the ring the ring the titular ring and ring that we see in the movie is revealed to be the ring of light around the seal of the well, which I think is so poetic. I do too. I also loved it. Yeah. So I guess it spared her because Rachel freed it is the feeling that we get in that moment. And, uh, as Rachel and Noah are driving home or are talking afterward, Rachel says she wanted a child. She wanted that child more than anything. How could she do that? She just wanted to be heard. Sometimes children, they yell or cry or draw pictures. (gasps) (gasps) Aiden! Aiden! We gotta go home. (laughs) They fucking pull up the car like in the Flintstones and run real fast. She finally remembers, oh, right, my kid. Yeah, she finally learned the lesson that, okay, if I don't do, if I don't parent right, my kid's gonna end up like Samara, killed by me. I better go home and start parenting him better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is good advice. <laughs> um, so we made it. No more day yeah. seven. Now it's Thursday, and Rachel and Aiden are having very intimate pillow talk. And uh, Rachel <laughs> tells Aiden that he she freed her. She's not the girl's not going to hurt them anymore because she helped her, and she's free. And Aiden, <laughs> God damn it, man! It's Aiden, so can't good. we catch a break? 
Don't, aren't you ever oh. chill? Do you ever turn off, man? He, <laughs> he sits up, bolt upright, and he's like, you helped her? Why did you do that? You weren't supposed to help her. Don't you understand, Rachel? She never sleeps. I'm so frustrated by him in that moment because it's, it's I like, it. I was just doing what you wanted. What the fuck, man? You're so hot and cold. I can't reach you. I just went through man. a whole movie to realize that I need to be a better parent and you're going to give me this shit? <laughs> I mean, she shouldn't be playing with ghosts and wells. I tell you, I know this is a fucking joke already, but if if Rachel was black, this shit wouldn't have been <laughs> Um, and, uh, no, yeah, she would have just holed herself up away from TVs in, like, a, an ice cave somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just waited it out. On day eight, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Noah, we get to see Noah's giant BS flat one more time as the TV turns itself on again, and it's such a, like, here we go again moment, because, <laughs> of course, we know what's going to happen. Samara appears on the TV, but she exits the TV which is a really cool moment so cool. where she steps out of the TV and she's still got some of the like VHS tracking effects on her. It's really cool. as she's got like this green or like gray, her, her like fuzz bloated on her. Yeah. And she's like all bloated and her skin's all uh, waterlogged. It's nasty. And yeah. so I remember whenever I was a child watching this movie, it's probably why I have a hard time remembering the first time is I would always look away during this moment. I would never look to see what Samara's face looked like when she looks up from her hair. And I'm really proud of myself because watching the movie for this podcast was the first time in my life that I looked. Whoa, and, all right. And it was what really disappointing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> it's so disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, you built that shit up for years, man. Like, what did you think? You want it to be, like, all rotted and stuff. Yeah. And it's and, you know, it's just a person. It doesn't... It's just a person. Yeah. I See, I kind of I kind of like it, though, because I will say that my... my I, that is also just one of my favorite scenes in general for many reasons I can get into a bit later. But I I think the, the beauty of it all is that you never see her do anything weird. She herself is an image, is not creepy... Everything around her and what she does and what happened to her makes her creepy. And to me, I think it's it's more satisfying knowing that she doesn't have some demon face or whatever because it's like, oh, it's just a girl. And now she's going to twist and spit and burn your face into nothing or whatever. Oh, you're not going to like my analysis then. Well, that's fine. <laughs> oh, I like we can this. disagree on I it. like when we disagree on it. Uh, so... Rachel arrives too late. We don't get to see Noah's face. I was so disappointed. I thought we were going to get to see Noah's face. So Rachel goes home and burns the tape and is like, why not me? What did I do? What did I do that he didn't? And we're trying to figure out, like, but we freed her. Why didn't it work? And then she remembers she made a copy. And so she helps Rachel's, she, like, guides Aiden's hand to make another copy and she's like, don't worry, we're going to be safe. And Aiden asks, what about the person we show it to? What happens to them? And we see Rachel's face. And then cut to yeah. black. When, she oh. puts up her arms and she goes, whoopsie, whoopsie doops. Oh, don't worry. We'll just give it to Chris Cooper, a pedophile that got cut out of the beginning of the movie. That'll make everyone <laughs> happy. And that's The Ring. Uh, so now we can move into my next segment, which is where we ask all of our questions, a segment that I've hilariously titled Mystery LLC. So <laughs> first off, right off the bat, if you have any questions at all during the segment, please just chime in and we'll uh, go through them. But my the big one is, uh, well, 
yeah, the big one is, what is Samara? Ooh, because that is the question. That is and you know, the question. For the longest time, I thought she was psychic, because I think, uh, for me, I guess when I was watching it a lot, that was just my thought, like, oh, she's psychic, she has power, she can do all this stuff, whatever. Watching it this weekend, it, to give some context to you and your listeners, uh, I have been playing a lot of the video game Bloodborne, which pulls from a lot of Lovecraft elements. So there's a lot of like old ones and weird gods and weird things happening. And then when I watched the ring again, I went, wait, what if she's not psychic? There's this thing that I guess is in a lot of Eldritch Horror, is, is part of Eldritch Horror, where the, the, the old ones are trying to create avatars to kill each other. And they manifest in different forms and they have weird different powers from what they are. And part of me was entertaining this idea like, wow, what if she is just this beyond real eldritch horror that is birthed into a human child and just doesn't know or care or understand what's going on and just knows that she wants to hurt people. And she just does it and intrude in nature for these weird cosmic horrors. She just creates chaos and drives people insane. I like this movie because it does do a good job of leaving you enough holes to wonder what she is, but not so many that you don't care. Because yeah. ignoring the sequel, The Ring 2, that came out in 2005, which, <laughs> which says... Which, oh, I haven't seen it. You've seen it? I th- I'm, I th- I'm starting to... Now we've been talking about it. I think I saw... What is it? The Rings or something? Uh, no, I don't remember what it was. So, Some stupid... so there was the Ring, this movie, the Ring yeah. Two in two thousand five, and then okay. most recently, I think in two thousand eighteen or nineteen, it was Rings. Where okay, so I didn't see Rings, but I saw Ring Two. Okay. I'm realizing now. So in Ring Two, we meet uh, Samara's biological mother, Evelyn, and she's an unreliable narrator, but she claims that Samara's father was an oceanic deity. So you're not a hundred percent off there. It's stupid. Ooh. But you're not off. See, I think the problem is is that it could have not been stupid, but that story isn't accessible to a lot of people. And I think it's better to think about that as a concept than to have a movie tell you. Well, uh, you mentioned psychic powers. That was always my headcanon, was that she like was a mutant who had the ability to you know project images into people's heads, and she couldn't control it. And so her family was suffering and they couldn't understand what was happening. And so they killed her and the like, you know, resultant malevolence that built up over seven days or however long she's been down there is what created the spirit that was somehow able to make the tape or whatever. Um, a nerd on IMDb said the type of ghost that Samara and her Japanese incarnation Sadako is based on is the mythological Onryo, a Japanese ghost that manifests after dying in the grip of powerful rage and returns as a very pale and physical ghost to seek vengeance on the living. You know, a ghost? You know, just a <laughs> oh, ghost. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Japan has like 800 different versions of ghosts and demons and stuff. Okay. So you know. Well, Samara's psychic abilities, I'm sure the same IMDb nerd added, are known as Nensha, which is a form of spirit photography that enables someone to burn images from their mind onto any solid surface just by thinking of them. This is, also, this is how she burned images onto the videotape. 
Uh, that's so much less satisfying than what I was thinking. Of. I don't think this is right. This is just people's like uh, head. Like I don't take IMDb trivia as fact ever. These are just like no, forum that's, nerds. That's, that's fine. I know part of it though is that it, you know it being an original Japanese property, there is shit like that and a lot of Japanese folklore, and I think that that idea makes it less mystifying to me because I was always tantalized by the idea of not knowing how the pictures manifested and thinking about what could have happened to create that is cool. Knowing she just burned that shit, it's like, okay, great. No, so, so that's it. Yeah, then. so that's not an answer. I want to know what you think because what I think is that she is like like a tulpa, you know? She is a concentrated mass of such a terrible thing and and hate and feelings and all the stuff of the Morgans and all of that that was concentrated into this, that turned into a beast. Um, but... I hear you. I hear you saying that you believe Samara was benevolent as a child, and it was the act that no. made her evil. Because the movie—that's no, th- the reveal at the end. And I feel like it wasn't clear to me on my first four watches. Um, but yeah, the reveal at the end is that Samara w- was evil before. That she was willfully putting horrible images into her parents' heads. And that she is something from something else. And her being in the well or whatever, like, that's that's the reveal when she says, I do want to hurt people, and I'm sorry, it won't stop. That's her saying, I like this. And yeah. that's me. I believe that. Is that what you got out of it? Well, I, I, again, I, I, I feel like she is just this cosmic energy as much as you could talk about something that people can't understand as as odd of an answer as this is i think that she is a a a in s in essence that's beyond human understanding where she has these abilities but because she is and we're going to pretend that we're not talking about the ring too just again my theory based on this i imagine she was in a human body with a human brain but possessing as if you could see past the third dimension, as if you understood so much more, like if you were a child and you could pick apart time with no consequence and you just do it and it, it, it calls to you and it feels right and you do it, but you see people suffer. And in that way, as a human being, you apologize, but it's in your nature. You just do it because you are a force. See, she is literally just a force that just spreads and drives people nuts. She's like a virus. Yeah. So, and yeah. So so that leads me to the next question. Well, I guess you kind of already hit on it is what is the tape and, and how, how is the tape? What and how is the tape? (laughs) I mean, I think the tape just like anything else is to me again, no other outside elements to me when she talked about how the images, the pictures just happened. I thought that she's, in this well, her room up in the barn had a chair, a horse, like three dolls, and a TV. And she probably just watched the static TV all the time. Her mode of communication is this thing. You don't picture her can... walking around the farm with a Super 8 and going like, Mom, just keep combing your hair. No, don't keep look at me. Don't look at me. She keep t- combing your hair. <laughs> Stop smiling. This isn't a funny thing. Oh, sweetie. You're so, you're so cute. But, um... No, because I, I picture I picture the video literally just happening because it is again a force that is this cosmic type of virus that wants to spread as 
efficiently as possible. And if you have a world where people are, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted to make a statement about what TV's doing to people, it's like, that's a great way. Like, if I made The Ring now, it would be a YouTube video. I mean, that shit would get so many people. Yeah, that's what, and so to me, that's what Rings is, like, I think. Oh, fuck them. So, the, <laughs> I want my money. So, uh, I feel like Samara is just taking what she as a human being knows is a thing and using these powers that she doesn't understand to create a way to spread her reach. And it just manifested. It just manifests everywhere. Well, if she's so dang powerful, then why all the rules? Why does she, why do you, why take seven days? Why didn't she just kill you when you watch it? Because she's pissed. It's like when you get wronged. So me personally, not to welcome to feeling it out, Connor. <laughs> when when I if something happens to me, when I get pissed, I have a thought where I'm like, I want to see that shit happen to you and see how you feel. And I don't react on that. I try not to, but I could see as a child if that happens to you. It's like let's see what happens if you know you've got like limited days to go and no one's saving you no one is saving you yeah and that's it it's almost like the bully it's almost the difference between like a bully coming up to you and saying i'm gonna beat you up right now versus i'm gonna beat you up at the end of the day and and yeah. you just have to sit with that all day it's kind of like you it's, live- <laughs> it's more torture the waiting than it's like oh my god can't you just beat me up right now and get it over with yeah i mean i hate to make this uh connection but in uh, how i met your mother which uh I spent too much time on that show, but there was a bit that they did where when the characters would make a bet, the winner got to slap the other person. <laughs> so one of the characters was like, I'm not going to slap you now, and I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. It's going to happen. They held it for like two seasons, <laughs> and then it happened. And the buildup was so – that was like the, the one takeaway from that show that I'm still like, that was, that was flawless. <laughs> and it's that same idea where she's, again, taking what she knows, and she's just – doing it to other people because she wants them to hurt and she's pissed that her mother, who she admitted she loved, betrayed her like that. So you're on Team Samara. I'm on Team Samara (laughs) 100%. Please. Um, So how does she kill people? Does she just go, boo? And they go, ah! (laughs) (laughs) What does she do? She just kind of like looks at them. How does she actually kill people? Uh, you know, like it seems like you could I've just outrun pulling, her. You'd think that, but I'm I'm pulling I'm pulling on this thread because I, I I I'm starting to note as I've been looking more into Junji Ito. For to those who don't know, is a, a prolific Japanese horror writer oh, yes. uh, slash mangaka, and he just does these things that are like next level horror elements. And he also takes some notes from fucking H.P. Lovecraft. We can all agree the dude's a racist, his writing's <laughs> bland and does not grow. But I will say in terms of what he did for a horror community, I think it's kind of astounding. And to me, when I think about what she did, it's the same idea of like, um, it, it's, it's, it's people not being able to comprehend to the point where they physically their bodies betray them so horrifically that they mangle themselves. Well, it's funny because I think at some point there's a throwaway line about how the coroner's report only says heart attack, but they look like that. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. So I always interpreted it as the way she kills them is she's like making them, like with her telepathy or whatever, she's making them experience all of the 
hate and anger and everything that made her all at once. And it's like Whoa. too much for somebody. And so they have a heart attack and they pop and they're like, oh, and like that's that's my head cannon. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, I like that. idea. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then finally, my last question is, what is the ring? Because we see, you know, an argument that I make is that the ring is the ring of light around the the well. The well. But it occurred to me that you could also make an argument that the ring could refer to the phone ring you receive after watching the tape. Yeah. The ring. Ring, ring. Or it could also indicate the twisted, ironic nature that is escaping the curse, which is you continually perpetuate this cycle of death in a full circle onto someone else, which is a very, very... My arm hurts because I had to stretch, but I I agree with you. I I think it would be the phone, but iconically it would be the well, well because that's what you see. You, you've actually given me a great segue into my next segment, which is uh, screen. Oh wait, which is theory canal. <laughs> so um, we we uh, learn how to beat the curse. If you watch it, Connor, if you watched the tape, how would you survive? Mm, I would make a copy, and I would uh, make someone else watch it. There you go. It's that second part. Uh, The fact that making a copy isn't actually what saved Rachel. It's Aiden watching the copy is what saved her. So the only way to survive the curse is to pass it on to another person, which is a dumb curse. (laughs) Or... Is I don't know. So that's the thing. In Theory Canal, I want to explore this idea that the curse is a virus. Like you said, it spreads uh, by people copying it and thus increasing like the spread rate because of the number of tapes that are out there. And I'm pretty sure yeah. that's the logical conclusion that they end up with in Rings, the movie that came out more recently, which is there are just tons of tapes now in circulation and people are dying and it's all crazy town. But... Uh, if you spread the tape and you survive, if, if the theory stands that the tape is a virus, how would you, st- it, it's very easy to stop, actually. You have to sacrifice yeah, you yourself, die. but you yeah. bury the tape and you refuse to do it. Yeah. And it seems like she doesn't really have any power over the tape itself to like fling it across the room and make someone notice it or something. It's just an inert thing. That seems very, well... I don't want to tell tales out of school, but to me, that seems very Eastern. The idea of this thing is really doing its own thing. And if it is undisturbed, everything's jelly. But it's you, bastard human, who walked in and thought, I'm going to infect everything with my influence and my dick. Wham, wham, wham. And (laughs) suddenly you're influencing the world and you've awoken these spirits that all they just wanted to do was sleep. So I like that, actually. Yeah, well, because I was going to say, too, that this watching this over again, now that I've fully embraced how much of a horrible nerd for Japan I am, it is the it is so weird to watch because it it fucking reads like a Japanese story. And I'm like, how did so many Americans swallow this? Because there's a lot of Japanese movies where I will also watch those with my mom or my girlfriend or just me. And I will watch them and go, man, I love this, but I guarantee 90% of Americans would be like, what? I, I, I need to suspend disbelief for this shit to work. <laughs> but that's the point is that you, 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 a lot of that storytelling from somebody who's not fucking Japanese. So I'm sorry. And 
you know, but, but you, if you, I think there's a lot of, you need to embrace that and you need to accept the conditions that are given to you and that's it. And I think the reason that the curse is interesting to me is because, yeah, you could easily just, uh, I'm hitting the tape with a hammer and then I'm just going to die. And oops, looks like it doesn't go anywhere. But what's neat to me is that you have the choice of giving it to someone else and sub- knowingly subjecting someone else to death, which the guilt could be insurmountable. But also, we don't know how many tapes there are. So is sacrificing yourself going to help? And also, the the point is, going back to what Samara said, is she wants to hurt people. Like, if the whole point is, could, could you imagine how fucked that is? Like, you you make someone spend their days trying to save themselves, and then it's like, Oh yeah, it it nothing you can do is gonna change. You're gonna die. Oh, you made a copy. Then that guy's gonna die. Good job. You killed that guy. Like there's no out to it. You either live with that pain or you die because of the video. And and I don't know if you know where who they get to watch the tape for Aiden. Because it's in the original Yeah, it's Chris Cooper's pedophile character. That that in the original cut of the movie, Chris Cooper played a character that bookended the movie, the beginning and the end, and he plays a pedophile, and that's supposed to be like the the big reveal at the end is she gives him the tape, and it's like uh huh, but no one liked that in test screenings, oh. so they removed him entirely. He's only seen on a newspaper clipping in the background of one scene. Interesting, because in the Japanese version in Ringu. She gives it to her grandfather, or her, her father, the son's grandfather, and she's like, I need you to watch this or your grandson's going to die. And he goes, I love my grandson. I'll do it. Oh, wow. And that hurts me in my heart. That's so sweet. And That's way better. Yeah, it's amazing. Than just the nebulous, think, like, oh, what's she going to do? Yeah, which I thought that's stupid. But I, I like I like. The American version ending with the way the Japanese one ended because the the Japanese one, to my recollection, ends with a shot of them driving to the grandfather's house, Ooh. and and that's it. And like you don't hear the call, you don't hear anything. The kids like, where are we going? And the mom's like, we're gonna go see Grandpa. He's gonna help. And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> oh, it gives me chills. That's so better. Yeah. So it's um you know it's that, it's that cycle of hatred the the ring of hatred if you will that samara just wants everyone to fucking die or feel pain yeah but i like that it's a different kind of horror from slashers and stuff it's a like you said you have control over it you have a choice it's less of oh, I can be completely safe. Like, if I'm watching a movie, that's not going to happen to me because I'm not in the woods. I'm not placing myself in a precarious situation in a bikini in the the forest (laughs) where I know there's somebody out there, but I'm just so horny. Um, No, this is a different kind of horror where I am a person, I'm a normal adult who's intelligent, and I watch videotapes. What if I put in a tape that I thought was the tape I went to, and instead of Muppet Treasure Island, it was this tape? That could happen to me. Yeah, which is, which that in and of itself is scary. And another thing which was making me think about how, how much of a Japanese storytelling style it has is that it presented these things to you, it like you were saying earlier, it doesn't have, it has like two jump scares yeah. because it, it wants you to just 
feel how terrifying that could be and how really it could happen to you and how you would have to make that choice. And it's like, now what are you going to do, fucker? Like, Yeah, it's not that, interested in giving oof. you these little release valves of like, oh, what's going to happen? Boo! Oh, it's just his friend returning the wallet. We can calm down now. It's just one long, slow suspense ride that takes itself 100% seriously the entire time. There's no comedic yeah. relief. It's great. It's a different kind of horror. Uh, this isn't really a theory. It's There's too many Bible allusions in this movie to ignore it. So I just wanted to bring it up. Noah is a character's name. Yeah. Samara is a character's name, which in Hebrew means protected by God. There's a lot of water and flood imagery. And seven days. Seven and days, And seven yeah. days. So so yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I don't, it feels like it's just an accident. <laughs> but I, Yeah, well, because that's what I was going to say is that I, I, you're right. Lining that up so much makes it feel like less of an accident. <laughs> but at the, same t- at the same time, I could easily see someone doing that and then someone else being like, dude, this is so the Bible. And they're just like, oh, shit. I could make like a whole wiki rabbit hole of like, it's all connected, you guys. <laughs> It's all the Bible. Um, yeah, that's funny. I didn't even think about that, but the imagery is like right there. I always <laughs> took the Noah and the seven days and the water thing. I didn't even know Samara's name. That yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's crazy. So I said I was going to talk about screaming themes, but I feel like we already talked about most of them, which is the theme of mystery, the theme of loss, the theme of sticking with a troubled child, which is challenging and hard. Uh, a child that's not normal, but loving them and putting in the hard work anyway instead of giving up or killing them. Jesus. You know, um, drop your kid in a well. So instead, I'll skip to the, the last segment before we rate the movie, which is kills, kills, kills. I think there's only four kills in the movie. Uh, Katie gets mm-hmm. Samara'd at the beginning. Richard mm-hmm. Morgan electrocutes himself. Uh, a horse kills itself. And uh, Noah also gets Samarad. I think that's everybody. Yeah. Um, I think that is. So now. F- unless you count Samara, because you do technically watch her. Thank you. Get assisted murdered by nature. That's right. Thank you. So five kills. Wow. What a scary movie. <laughs> I gotcha. So yeah. We've come to my favorite segment, Connor. Now we get to rate oh, this really? movie on a scale of one to five thumbs. One being the worst and five being the best. Connor, what did you think of 2002's The Ring? Well, I don't normally do this, but I actually give it five. Really? And I could talk for hours about why I give it five, well, but I give it five. Why do you give it five? In ten words or to less? keep it... I like the scary movies. Uh, the reason I gave it five thumbs is because it is iconic culturally. It's a, an interesting example of Eastern storytelling style that meshed really well with American audience. It's a horror movie that relies on atmosphere and actual dread than jump scares, which I'm a personal fan of. Naomi's character, I'm, or is, I'm assuming, has shaped the way that I write a lot of my characters now. Um, and again, with the Japanese ending, that's one of the coolest endings I think I've seen in a horror movie. And on top of that, I love the idea that you spend this whole time on the mystery. And then Aiden's like, that didn't do jack shit. And I was like, it didn't, but I didn't feel ripped off. Yeah, I felt like, yeah. of course it didn't. It, it's 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 a, a malevolent energy now. It doesn't matter if you, what are you saving? It's, it's still It still exists. It doesn't care. And I was like, 
damn, that's cool. And also, the last thing I'll say, watching it again, thinking about weird cosmic horrors and shit, and tying some more into that was pretty dope. Okay. So, and also, I've watched it like 30 times, so five thumbs up. I love that movie. I can watch it literally whenever. So then, we need to award those thumbs. Traditionally, we can award them each to one character, or we can split them up. Ooh. You can give all five to one, or you can split them up however you want. Who are you awarding your five thumbs to? Um, so I'm going to give him a split. Uh, I'm going to give three thumbs to Samara because we talked about it earlier. I am team Samara. <laughs> I just love. Why did they never make a Samara, a uh, the ring versus the grudge? I would have loved so stupid. that. And I would have watched that as much as I watched AVP. <laughs> and Freddy versus horrible. Jason. <laughs> and Freddy versus Jason. And, um, I'm going to give the other two thumbs to Rachel because again, I just <laughs> I couldn't stop watching the movie and being like, Fuck yeah, girl! Like you're a Get gangster, it. and I just I couldn't stop. I could not stop. Awesome. Yeah, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Wait, how do you? Oh rate it, me? Kyle? Well, oh, yeah, uh, let's you. see. I I really like this movie. I also feel like it influenced a lot of what I enjoy out of uh, modern horror. It's shaped a way like. I started the podcast here because of my love for 80s horror movies, but there's also that, you know, I, I can't just have one love. They're like my children. I love them all. And so there's this separate wing of my love museum dedicated to this world of no slashers, of just a slow burning internal horror of my own design that I now have to bear for myself. And you, you, you hit on such an awesome point that I completely forgot. So I'm going to give this movie four thumbs and I'm going to award my thumbs. I'm going to give one to uh, Aiden, Aiden Keller, David Dorfman, the current legal counsel of the U.S. House of Representatives, ranking member of Foreign Affairs Subcommittee <laughs> on Asia. Uh, David, I'm speaking directly to you. Please give us a shout out. That would be super cool. How busy could you be? Um, <laughs> um I would also like to give, uh, let's see, that's one thumb. I want to give another thumb to Ruthie, the mom, uh, Katie's mom, for portraying a mother in the throes of having a uh, daughter just die and a father who is completely emotionally unavailable and still ha out for blood. She wants to know what the fuck happened to her daughter, and I freaking love Ooh. that. Um, yeah. And even with everything, even with all of that, she still has the fortitude to be able to watch uh, Aiden while Rachel and Noah go on their sex trip, as far as they know. Uh, <laughs> let's see, I'm going to give another thumb to Samara, because it would be really cool yeah. if uh, she showed up in, um, like, uh, a ring remake or something down the line, as, or, like, as Samara or something. Oh, that was something I wanted to talk about, too. Ah, never mind. Uh, and I'm going to give mm -hmm. my final thumb to the great Brian Cox. I love Brian Cox. I loved him as Striker in X-Men 2, and I've loved him in uh, Second Role. So that is all four of my <laughs> thumbs. Four thumbs for 2002's The Ring. Connor, before we say goodbye, was there uh, anywhere that people can follow you and keep up with all things Connor? Why, yes, you can follow me at Token Studios with two Ks on Instagram and Twitter. We're not going to get into it, but there's a, an underline, there's an underscore on Twitter and not on Instagram. It'll get fixed, but you can find me there and read my comics and say hi. Did you have anything you wanted to plug? Well, yes, actually. So um, I am currently working with um, a couple friends. One of them is the host of this podcast on a comic book series called Spellslinger which tells the story of a woman bound to a malevolent 
uh, unexplainable spirit who's out for revenge for those who did her wrong. It's a fantasy western that story familiar. of a world. Yeah, I know. It's uh, I, see, I'm noticing a lot. <laughs> But um, but yeah, uh, you know, if you're a fan of westerns, if you like fantasy stories or or RPGs, or you just like supporting black like people, me just like seeing a. Oh yeah, there's also black people in it. You're black. There are going to be support if what? you like supporting black people as well, because if you can't tell, Connor is a person of color, so we all need to go this out there true. and support people of color right now. If you like The Ring, I'm. Pretty sure I'm giving you the gory days. Pretty sure guarantee that you'll like Token Studios Spellslinger. I like that. I'm gonna make a little seal that says the gory days. Pretty sure guarantee. Pretty sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, please, please. So where can people find that though? Um, So people can actually go to TokenStudios.com. T-O-K-K-E-N Studios.com. You can read everything there. But if you want to be one issue ahead, you can actually go to the Amazon.com. The Amazon.com, yes. And you can buy an issue for yourself or on your Kindle devices. We're developing that. So... That's super exciting. Join in the we'll fun. have all of that in the description, so no need to... Put away your notepads, nerds. It's all in the description. You didn't look far enough. Was there anything else you wanted to say, Connor, before we bid our monstrous friends adieu? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for letting me talk about this movie that I love. Uh, thank you so much again for letting me be on your podcast when you, you didn't you, you weren't sure about guests anymore. It it warms my my heart and especially to be able to talk about this. So my infinite appreciation to you, Kyle. Oh, well, I, thank you. And also, thank you for a great show, period. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You don't know what it's going to sound like. I might edit everything away and make you say racial epithets. My plug <laughs> no. is, of course, for here, The Gory Days, and for my other podcast, Feeling It Out with Kyle and Connor, with my co-host, Connor Fitzgerald, who's here on the podcast. You should definitely check out Token Studios, Spell Slinger. I'll include the description there. And next week, uh, I will be coming out with another episode next Tuesday, covering another 80s horror movie of my choice. It's my podcast. I do what I want. Um, without further ado... <laughs> Stay scary out there. The gory days. The gory days.